1: Hi, friends.
0: We know you no longer have your daily commute to work,
1: but we do know you're doing your goddamn dishes three times a day, so you got time to listen. So, if you could, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. We love you for it, so thank you. Forever
0: and always. (music) We're losing our minds,
1: we really are losing our minds. Oh, hi, gang. My name's Vanya. I'm the ROM,
0: and hi, I'm Avrin, and I'm the crime. And this is ROM Crime. This is a true crime comedy podcast that has
1: Romantic CDC. What is that? The Center for Disease Control. Yeah, you know what? I have a reason I'm saying this, and not because of what you think, not because of what you think. Uh, I had an instant guys today, yesterday, and I'm still monitoring it. I have 14 days to monitor it. It is not the coronavirus. Yesterday, I opened a jar from, I got it from a specialty freaking store and it fizzed and I didn't think about it. And I took a small, tiny, tiny bite of the thing. And then I looked it up on the internet and it said that fizzing is a sign of botulism and when you look at botulism and the symptoms and the uh, it's the worst, it's actually really, really terrifying. It's like, it's toxic, poison, poison, poison. So I proceeded to throw up. I made myself throw up, which I've never done in my life. And it was really scary, but I figured it out and threw up six times that I threw up like four times more than I could see the stuff Gross! I'm so sorry. Welcome to Rom Crime, everybody. But this was really scary, and actually, I've been real terrified. I'm sorry. It's been so awful. Um, I'm sorry well, that happened to you. Thank you. I mean, we're let's monitor it. If it's not, if I die, oh god, I'm sorry, everybody. It was my stupid. It was a Darwinism thing, anyways. Um, but anyway, but so then I threw up. I took two shots of vodka because for some reason I don't know. It's an old. I guess since I was a bartender for so long, I was like that might kill something. And then I ate dinner. You know, and then the entire time I was sleeping, I was worrying that my face was going into paralysis, which it wasn't. But anyways, so I'm fine. That's fine. What did you do? How how have you been?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. First of all, I am so sorry that on top of the crazy, like weird backwards shit life that we're all collectively living right now, that you had an experience that's that unsettling, unnerving. Yeah anxiety inducing, which is the last thing that you should have to deal with right now. But just know that I know you're going to be all right.
1: Thank you. You're going
0: to be all right. I know you are. I, and, so. um,
1: I mean, if, I if, know if so. worst case, I'll have to go to the boat, hope or mercy, and hopefully there'll be one ventilator there. Cause apparently you might need a ventilator for fuck's sake. Ugh.
0: Don't even go there. Don't let yourself go there. I made the mistake when you um, sent the message that, you were yeah. freaking out that maybe you had done this thing, and I googled botulism because I was like, "What the hell is that?" I've heard of it, but I actually had no idea what it was. And my
1: brain I immediately was like, "Oh God!
0: I hope Vanya didn't do this. I hope she didn't Google this." But of course,
1: of I, course, you did. Like, why would it, you? Not? I, I was having a panic attack. Panic attack on top of all of the stuff. So, but I feel fine. It's been over twenty four hours, and I feel fine. But they say that symptoms can occur. Um, you know, eight hours to 14 days. So that's real fun. So since I'm, uh, since I have 14 days to live, I decided to wear a crazy outfit and really do my hair big in honor of our, uh, our victim tonight.
0: Well, you look wonderful. Your hair is as always amazing and um, you're, you're going to be fine, but I do appreciate, let's live for the day. I mean, who knows yeah. if any of us are going to be fine, honestly, So we, we have no time to waste. We should be dressing up in costumes and being our best selves every single day because it's life is weird. And now all we can do is talk to each other over the computer and hopefully Mm -hmm. look really fucking badass while we do it.
1: That's right. I've got like, it's, it's one of those like onesie things where you plug it, you know, you snap it on your, near your hooch. Oh, I love one of those, a Mm -hmm. bodysuit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's very nineties of you.
1: Thanks. Meant to do it. Didn't really. I just was like, I need to look not like I've had pajamas on for two days straight.
0: I put I never do this, but I put lipstick on. Good I never wear lipstick. I put lipstick on because I knew I was gonna see you and I was like, This Aww. will make it look like I tried because I'm really wearing like pajama onesie right now and oh, I haven't all day.
1: It's perfect. It's perfect. You know who doesn't get to live through this right now is the girl we're gonna talk about.
0: That's true. We're doing, um, I was about to say a throwback, (laughs) a throwback y'all No, but we're, we're, we're kind of going, um, classic rom crime this week. I feel like we have done a couple of, you know, different or more modern stories, but at its core, where, where rom crime was like birthed from is there have been so many stories over the years of these horrible crimes that you know, the, at the center of it is a romantic relationship. And mm-hmm. so I, we, Bonnie and I talked about it and we decided that we should just totally kind of not try to find something new and, and wacky and maybe that you'd never heard right. of, but let's like go classic rom crime. Yeah. Um. So we're going to tell the story of Chandra Levy, an American intern. It really bothers me that that's how she's described. Like they're like, who was she? An American intern. I'm like, no, that was her job that summer, that year. Yeah. That wasn't who she was.
1: Yeah. Well, if you want to hear a little bit about what, you know, she, uh, Chandra, Miss Chandra Levy was born in 1977 in uh, Columbus, Ohio, but later moved to Modesto, California with her family. And her parents would like, and friends would um, describe her as somebody who was shy growing up, really super smart, but pretty quiet until she got into, uh, I can't remember exactly what the club was, but it was like one of those debate type JSA clubs. I was in the Mm JSA. Of course I was. What does JSA stand for? Oh, that's a good question. I don't even remember, but it was the debate (laughs) club. (laughs) I, I'd have to look it up. God damn oh, it! Sorry, I,
0: I did. I didn't mean to do that. I...
1: <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't know, but that's what it was in our in our place. So, but she was. But once she she sort of got. Um, oh, and she started going on um, like ride ride-alongs with cops. You know, you know, kind of how I don't know if you did this when you were a senior, but I certainly did. When you go and shadow someone for a day, um, I shadowed a news anchor, of course, and. Um, was very funny because it was all old school shit and he was like trying to edit with like anyways whatever not not important but she shadowed some cops and she sat in the car and went on their you know route together and was since then had became obsessed with like the criminal justice system and like everything like that and she was really lucky that when she was in college she was able to get the internship um for the Federal Bureau of Prisons, which is actually a pretty good internship to have. So she went from California where she went to school, USC, and moved to um, D.C. And she lived in like the cool area, the DuPont area, where you could just like walk, DuPont Circle, I think it is what it's Mm -hmm. called. And, you know, there was clubs around. Apparently it was like, it's like open 24 hours almost. It's, uh, you know, people- It's the Bourbon
0: Street of Uh, (laughs) Washington, D.C. She was a grad student, right? Yeah. Yeah, At that time. Yeah.
1: She was a grad student and went out there. Um, Yeah. So that's a little, little, uh, uh, oh, I can tell you a couple things. She had in the past had affairs with older men. She liked older men. Um, And one of her best friends was her aunt who she sort of divulged a lot of her innermost thoughts, even though she was kind of shy, but she was like, as she was in grad school and like experiencing new things she was opening up and blossoming as a young lady or a, not a young lady but you know what i mean like somebody who's ready Early to get 20s. down yeah she
0: was doing exactly what she should have been doing at the age of what 23 24 that's what mm-hmm. you do you're in a new city you're no longer living that college dorm life you have an apartment mm-hmm. You have an amazing internship that's hopefully going like, to lead to your dreams because what she wanted to be was a member of the FBI or the CIA, right. which just yeah. n- makes me know that I would have had so much fun talking to her.
1: <laughs> totally.
0: Because I think secretly, I always wished that I was in the FBI or the you know, CIA.
1: I know somebody who's in the FBI. I could, you could talk to them. I, could I would love that. Yeah.
0: I would love that. Let's start a separate podcast called Conversations with the FBI and just talk to people from the FBI about okay. what, what their day looks
1: like. Oh, and no one can see me right now, but um I made sure my hair was super curly because when you look on her Wikipedia or if you just like image search her, she's got like these really huge curls and I was like, I'm gonna own oh, my goddamn curls. Plus, it's raining in LA, guys. It's it's really depressing. It's the end That's of the, the world. world. <laughs> you know I was about to say. LA. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be okay.
0: <laughs> but no, she did. I, I'm sure most most people who are true crime lovers and followers are familiar with the story. Yeah. Here's what I will say about the story before we start to tell it. Yeah. I felt like I knew this story and um it all kind of started in 2001. So I would have been, it was way... Yeah, I, I would have just been finishing my senior year of college. Or sorry, my freshman year of college about to go home for the summer. Yeah. And um I don't really remember what I did that summer, but I feel like that was the summer that I slept a lot and then found out that I had like a thyroid issue. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. maybe I wasn't that aware, but it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And so it's a story that was really... You know, like it was the it was the story. It was what everybody was talking about. In fact, they said on CNN, like Gallup polls, something like sixty three percent of the American population said they were following this story. And then September eleventh happened. Right. And I feel like, as I imagine, several several uh, cases of homicide or any cases with a victim got kind of lost in the in the in the chaos of that time
1: well yeah
0: um and this was one of them but this was this story had the I guess the benefit of being at the forefront of the news before that whereas I'm sure many you know smaller town less nationally televised things were going on as well and then who knows Mm -hmm. you know what was lost as the nation turned collectively to come together and deal with what happened on that day uh, but this is a story that I feel like was something I was aware of. And then I think I always just thought, well, that congressman got away with killing her. I don't mm. know what happened. And then we decided to do it. And I have watched a couple of documentaries. I will say that most of the information that I am going to spew at you all today, and especially Yvonne, um, comes from an American murder mystery the Chandra Levy story. I watched an episode, an episode of uh, 48 Hours with Marsha Clark. I watched Mm -hmm. like an ABC News special. But then I'm going to tell you that actually the largest bulk of my research came from a 13-part serial piece by the Washington Post called Who Killed Chandra Levy that was written by Sari Horwitz, Scott Hyam, and Sylvia Moreno. And these are three investigative uh, reporters who worked for the New York Post who in uh, this came out in 2008. So it must've been in 2007, the case got new fire under new leadership in the the police department in 2006. But these reporters spent one year researching everything that had been known, everything that the police knew, but apparently the public didn't know. And they put together this amazing 13 part. Did you watch it all? It's No, it's, uh, it's written. It was in the oh, newspaper, but oh I read man. the whole damn thing. Oof, tell and us it, about it. It breaks it down so well. So let's get started. On May 1st in 2001, Chandra Levy disappeared. She last logged into her computer around 1242 PM and um, left her house. Nobody really knows exactly what the circumstances were. If she was alone, if she was with somebody, what she was doing, and we'll get into why that is as we talk this through. Uh, she was a planner. She had, um she was very responsible, even though um you know she was a young woman having fun, enjoying her life. She was somebody that was always pretty on top of stuff. And after five days of unreturned phone calls, no emails, and the fact that she was supposed to be home on uh, the eleventh for her graduation from USC, her parents started to freak out and called the DC Police Department on uh, May 6th. That was her dad, Robert. Her parents are Robert and Susan Levy. And they called the police department, basically asked, you know, we haven't heard from our daughter in five days. It's not like her. She's supposed to be coming home. Our last communication was about booking a flight for coming home. And now nothing for five days. Go check on her. A cop goes over goes checks in the apartment nothing really appears to be out of place it doesn't look like anything bad happened in the apartment what he does find there is um like her wallet with her id some dirty laundry in a bag there is a random blanket on the floor that seems a little bit out of place but i mean who hasn't just been on the couch with a blanket over them stood up let it fall on the floor and then gone about their life Mm -hmm. um so nothing really seems to be super wrong her parents, though, are freaking—rightfully so—freaking out. So they manage to get um, her cell phone provider to send them her cell phone records, and they notice that there is one phone number—that that a DC area phone number—that she's called more than any other. And when they dial it, it is the office of Gary Condit, who is a senator from their district, like of Modesto, California. Mm-hmm. And so then Robert Levy calls, like goes to the phone book to try to find the home number for Gary Condit. And I guess back in 2001, I don't know.
1: We still had phone books, yeah.
0: Yeah, we still have been people calling you because they could look you up in a phone book even though you're a senator. Wasn't a problem. So he actually called the home. Carolyn um, Condit, Gary's wife, answered, took a message and within an hour, Gary Condit actually called Robert Levy back and said that he had been uh he had met Chandra through Karen Baker who was a good friend of hers they had gone and met him because he was the the senator from their district or the congressman from their district sorry and um he had actually given Karen a job and he had become really good friends with both of them and he offered Chandra like career advice and all these things and he's like if there's anything I can do to help you let me know we're going to figure this out I don't know anything but I will let me Tell me how I can help you. Gets off the phone and he just has this really weird feeling. And the dad. The dad. Yeah. That Robert does. And then Susan, the mom, Chandra's mom, is like, look at the times of these phone calls, look at the amount of these phone calls. Do you remember that weird conversation we had where she said that she couldn't really tell us about who she was dating because he was kind of a big deal, but we would understand five years from now. And Robert's like, Oh my God. Yeah. My daughter was was dating this man
1: they also found out it was uh on her on her speed dial
0: yes he was number
1: number.
0: his number was number seven on her speed dial and his office was number eight on her speed dial so not just casual acquaintances who offer career advice to each Mm -hmm. other so one of Oh, oh, sorry, let me continue with the story and then I'm going to, you know, just spout my opinions on things. <laughs> but on, uh, So on May 7th, May 6th is when they called the police. May 7th, Robert Levy calls the police again and says, also, I think you should know, my daughter was dating married Congressman Gary Condit. And thus began what would be like the story of the summer of 2001. Yeah. For me, this is kind of interesting because... I understand, an illicit affair, a man who's not being truthful. Um, that would point everyone, as it did, to believe that they are somehow involved in some way, whether or not they did something or they just know more than they're saying. Uh, Gary Condit is um, kind of responsible for what happened to him because he put trying to save his career and his image above for trying sure. to the police find this missing woman that he, you know, was supposed to care about who she believed loved her. He put his own career and trying to save face above all of that. So everything he did looked suspicious and weird. Mm -hmm. And it's not terribly surprising that the uh, DC police like really zeroed in and focused on him. Now the DC police also fucked up so bad. It's like almost hard not to punch a wall when you read this stuff. It's so true they fucked up everything.
1: Yeah. Well, should I give a little the few inver- few minutes? Yes, please do. So Gary Condit uh was um he was up and coming in the political in DC and and like uh, even maybe possibly a pres- presidential hopeful. Um but it was known that he had had multiple affairs and um he was having, actually having another, a a simultaneous affair with another girl while he was having an affair with Chandra at the time. That's neither here nor there, but just just to note. Also to note, he was like rather controlling some of the other, when they had questioned the other women who, like where they can meet, how they could meet. It could never be in DC. It'd have to be like a few, you know, a couple hundred miles. No, I don't actually know how long, but ways away from DC. You, He didn't let, the the people, the girls bring their IDs for some reason. That was a rule he had. And Chandra's
0: ID was in her house when they searched it. Exactly. when they did the welfare check.
1: Yeah. So that's just, that's some notes to think about. Not that I want to give you any, but like he was, he was like coming, you know, DC was like his Hollywood. He's like a big dick and a small, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm up and coming. Like, I think the man had a huge ego. I'm not that I'm, I'm not trying to say that he did it, but I mean, I'm kidding. No, but keep talking, unfold the story, but you know. I hear you. Well, and that's what I'm
0: saying is like, even though I will tell you that through all of the research I did and actually finished the story, which I never did. And I think a lot of people never did because it got interrupted right at the height of its popularity. And then it went cold for a long time. So then when it came back in it didn't grab the nation's attention anymore because there wasn't a sex scandal with a, with a politician involved. There wasn't all of this, like, this is the story 24 hours a day right now, like news, like crazy, you know, sex and politics and all the stuff that always drives ratings and news. But I finished the story. And so I'm going to tell you right now that I do not believe that Gary Condit had anything to do With what happened to Chandra Levy. Not one thing. You don't. Not one thing. But what I do think is that he is responsible for part of why the way everything went down went down and why um, ultimately Chandra Levy's case is still unsolved. Um, Because he tried to save face. Like, this is not a man who was like, this was the first time I ever cheated on my wife of 34 years. This was a man that was was a wheeler dealer playing loving the fact that like he could date these 22 year old like junior aides to in his campaigns and flight attendants he met and like all those ladies that you mentioned and he had really strict rules yeah like you can't have your id on you so then there can never be a name attached to you if we get pulled over and a cop decides to take both for our id like weird stuff if if you get on the elevator to come to my apartment right somebody gets on with you you have to quickly pick a different floor to get off on you know just like You're a shit. You're a shit. Um, But I don't actually think he had anything to do with her disappearance and subsequent murder. I think that he was so desperate to not get outed as her lover that he acted in overtly suspicious ways that, of course, made the police zero in on him. And then you had the media and the press and all the attention to it. And that was just the focus. And then there's also added pressure when there's that much media attention. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't hurt that, you know, her parents were going on the, the news being like, please, Gary Condit, just tell us where our daughter is. Right. So everybody just immediately write in on him and uh, weren't ever really able to shake that. That was the story until September 11th was the story. Right. And here, so I'm going to walk through a couple more things. So on the 7th, after Levy um, Robert Levy tells the police about the affair, they interview Gary Condit. They search her home. In her home, they find, uh, they do find a pair of black panties that appear to have uh, dried semen. semen on it. So they collect semen. that <laughs> to um, eventually maybe get some DNA. And, um, oh, one of the craziest most awful things that makes you just nuts. So one of the police who is not trained as a technician tried to go into her computer and look at her internet search and did something to the computer where he completely like corrupted it and it like crashed. And it would take over a month before actual technicians who should be doing that kind of forensic investigation and not just some random cop that's like, beep, boop, 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 boop on buttons and then loses any kind of, uh, ability to see what she had been looking at that day. So her that might history,
1: have, so her, I, his, her
0: search history. Yeah. And so it was wiped and it took, um, the technicians, the forensic technicians in DC over a month to recover it. And that will end up being crucial lost time, Cru- yeah. crucial lost time. So we're going to now, Sidebar: I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a different story for a second. So, as I said on May 1st, Chandra Levy disappeared. On May 14th, a young woman named Hallie Schilling was jogging in Rock Creek Park, which is um, a very popular, beautiful park near Adams Morgan in DC. When a man from behind grabbed her, attacked her, knocked her to the ground, and held a knife to her, and she fought like hell. She had actually um, taken some self-defense courses like years earlier. So she managed to stick her fingers into his mouth and under his tongue where she like pressed on some.
1: So lessons
0: ladies, we learn things when we, when we look into true crime stories,
1: Yeah,
0: like from a self-defense course learned about like pressing really hard with your nails on the underneath side of her tongue that would like hurt so bad. And then she was able to like scream and get away and run away. And she reported it immediately. She said it was a young Hispanic um, or a young Latino man who had jumped her, so then, on uh July first, so may, June, July, okay, so there was a little bit of time, but on July, oh sorry, yeah, no July first, a young woman named Christy wiegand is also jogging in Rock Creek Park when a man out of nowhere she says all of a sudden she felt like someone was behind her, and then a man like basically jumped on her from behind. They rolled down a ravine and she fought like hell. She had actually been running with her fiance, but they do this all the time. And her, her fiance had kind of gone ahead of her and was out of sight. She was also wearing a Walkman and jogging through the park. And um, she also fought him off and screamed and kicked and did and scared him off. So he ran and then she immediately flagged someone down went to the park police and reported it and described him, described what he was wearing. And 45 minutes later, a young um, Salvadorian man named Ingmar uh, Guandique was found in the park in a a similar area, was questioned by the park police, and basically implicated himself in both the attacks on um, Hallie Schilling and Chrissy Weigand. So that's just something I think that's important That we know that was going on in dc um two women on separate occasions both jogging alone were attacked in a park by a predator and that's just that information is out there because he is arrested for these things he was caught after the second one and um the one weird thing is the park police so not involved at all like with the dc metro police but after he had been talking to him and got him basically to implicate himself in both of the attacks on Hallie and Christy, showed him a picture of Chandra Levy from like the newspaper and was like, did, did you attack this girl? And he said, no, I saw her in the park, but I didn't attack her. That information is never somehow given to the police. Okay, back to
1: Chandra's story. And he goes to jail for 10 years.
0: Yes. So yeah. right now, yeah, he's been found and he will definitely go to jail for this. So, okay, as the summer of 2001 carries on, Gary Condit continues to act like more and more bizarre. Um, There is a a story of he was right before the police were going to search his house. He is spotted by just somebody because his face has been all over the news, right? So he is spotted by a guy who lives in the D.C. area who recognizes him getting out of a friend's car, going over to a a trash can near McDonald's, taking something and really like pushing it down in the trash and then um getting back in the car and leaving and the guy was like that's weird and i think that's that guy that murdered that intern although at this point it's still a missing person's case
1: right
0: um so he goes over he looks in the trash can he pulls out this like black box which is a i don't know how to pronounce it it's like a really expensive like turgant watch oh yeah I don't know if that's how you say it, but it's a very fancy watch. And the box is empty except for the warranty in the box. And he's like, that's where." And he takes it and he goes and tells his roommates. And they're like, you need to call the cops, yo. And he's like, no, I'm freaked out about it. But he goes back to the trash can, puts the box back in, and then calls the cops. You know, he's like, I don't want to, you know, be tampering with the evidence or whatnot. So um, they're like, what the F? Turns out that watch was a gift given to him by... Um, Sorry, let me flip back here. By Jolene uh, McKay, who was a 22-year-old junior aide that he had a three-year affair with. And so the police are like, why would you? That's an old affair. That watch was bought for you seven years ago. Like, why, why before the police were going to search your home, were you going out of your way to remove this box? And so even though it doesn't actually have anything to do with the Chandra Levy case, it is highly fucking suspicious.
1: Yeah. Was there something else that he pushed down there? I wonder, I don't know.
0: I mean, I don't know if, if, I mean, I'm assuming, God, I want to assume the best, but you shouldn't after everything, these people bungle. Um, So just weird behavior. He does a bad Connie Chung interview where he refuses to directly answer whether or not they were even having an affair. And so still trying to save face and basically save his his job to get reelected. He is obstructing justice by not just telling them the truth, being like, yes, I was having an affair with her, but no, I have no idea where she is or what happened to her. How and can I help you?
1: You know what one of the craziest things is, well, not craziest because this case is crazy, but like he was one of the main people just like f- yelling at um, Clinton when Clinton had his affair saying, we need every single detail. If you're going to come, you got to come clean. You got to tell us everything for the for the public to move on so yep. and so we can trust you again. I'm like, me think thou dost protest too much, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, right? Like, he was one of the few Democrats to push for that, to be like, no, I want, you need to come out, you need to tell us every single thing that happened, and that's the only way for the American people to forgive you and move on from this. And so it's like, shut the fuck up, Gary (laughs) Um. So, as I mentioned, her computer was you know, messed up by an Mm. inexperienced, untrained officer who didn't know what to do with it. And then accidentally messed it up real bad about, um, I think it was two months, one month or two months after she disappeared, they finally retrieved her search history. And, um, what she had looked up that day was Southwest airlines. She had gone to Gary Condit's like homepage on Google or was Google a thing back then? I don't even know. Um, She had searched Baskin Robbins, which I have a weird question at the end of all of this about that. She looked at Amtrak tickets. And then the last thing is that she had gone to like the entertainment section of some like DC metro area and looked at Rock Creek Park and specifically had looked at, um, oh man, now I don't remember the name of the building, but it was like kind of like the main building in Rock Creek Park and a bunch of different hiking trails. So now the cops are like, oh, Maybe she was meeting somebody at Rock Creek Park and she was getting directions to a specific place. So the police now, it is July 25th when the D.C. police start searching Rock Creek Park. Now, either through uh, just a miscommunication or a misunderstanding on the part of like the chief of police and the guy leading the search, like the lead detective on the case, the head guy said that what he had told the DC uh, police to do was search within 100 yards of every road and every trail in the park. The guy leading the search only heard search within a hundred yards of every road. So it's a huge park. There's all of these trails that go off into like the wilderness parts of it. They didn't search any of um, within hundred yards of any of those, because as he put it, that's not what we were told to do. So they are unsuccessful and they don't find anything. There's no trace of her anywhere. And the media builds the frenzy around Condit builds. He loses his bid for reelection. The cops are really focusing hard and pushing hard on him he takes a polygraph test but by somebody that he like a private firm so then the police are like bullshit ends up te- they end up privately this information was never released at the time testing his dna it did match the dna on her underwear that they found in her apartment he does eventually admit to the cops but never publicly that they had an affair and uh then september 11th happens and the the case loses all of its media attention and, um, when things kind of start to go back to normal, it pretty much I want to like make sure I'm not forgetting anything before we keep going. but it uh, it pretty much goes cold until 2006. Sidebar back to that other story I was telling you guys about. Bonnie, did you want to say anything? Sorry, I'm just rambling away over nope, here.
1: Keep going.
0: You're good. So, um remember I mentioned that on July 1st, Ingmar uh, Guandike was arrested for attacking the two women in Rock Creek Park and eventually he is sentenced to 10 years in jail. And then on August 26th of 2001, a jailhouse informant tells police or tells the guards or whatever that Guandike had confessed to killing Chandra Levy. Okay, so first of all, hello, uh, we, have, we have somebody actually confessing to killing her. And we're still focused, folks, this is August. We're focusing on Gary Condit. So then, on October 19th, police finally sit down and have an interview with the informant who says that Guantique told him that he had killed Chandra Levy after Gary Condit paid him $25,000 to commit the murder. Okay. Plausible? Maybe. Maybe. Possible theory? Definitely. Potentially. Okay. We think the senator's involved. Um, but then as required, I think, or trying to just be smart police officers, the, um, cops give both this informant, whose name is never mentioned because I believe he's still in prison. So he doesn't want anyone to know he was an informant. Um, but they gave both the informant and, um, Gondike, I think I'm saying that right. Gondike, Gondike, sorry. Um, polygraph tests, but here's the deal. Neither of them speak English and there were no bilingual um, polygraph testers available, so they had to use a translator. So there's three people now in a room. The person giving the test is asking the questions, the translator is then relating the question, and then the response is being monitored. And it's just a known fact, I guess, one that polygraph polygraph tests are not uh, admissible in court because of how flimsy the science behind it is. And then you add a translator that's literally a middle person between the two and the idea that you think you're going to get any accurate results whatsoever is laughable. So the informant fails his polygraph test. Again, he also had a translator and, uh, Guandique his is inconclusive, but the test proprietor, I don't know what you call him, Mm -hmm. um, says that it's, it's leaning. It's, it's inconclusive, but leaning towards not deceptive. So then they're like, all right, we did our best. This informant's a liar, made this story up, trying to get attention because it's national news. It's a big story. Um, He passed his polygraph test. We have no, this is what the police say to the press when anyone asks, like mentions this other guy. And he's like, so we have no reason at this time to suspect him in the disappearance of Chandra Levy. Oyve. So here's sidebar Averin's personal opinions on crimes and how things work in the world based Mm -hmm. on how much I read and watch about them. If you have reason to believe that Chandra Levy went to Rock Creek Park on the day she disappeared at the beginning of May, and then a couple weeks after that, a woman by herself jogging through the park is attacked by a man. And then a few weeks after that, another woman who's alone jogging through the park is attacked by the same guy who is now... That's a... Predators have patterns. That's true. They have MOs. They have things that they do. Mm-hmm. And so to just dismiss based off of uh, an inconclusive polygraph mm-hmm. test, a, a predator, a, an attacker of women in mm-hmm. the spot where you believe she last went to, it's just, it blows my mind that they were like, no, we passed the polygraph or, you know, we don't think he's involved. That to me is just like the worst policing I've ever heard of in my life. Mm-hmm. So, Vanya, you have anything you want to say at
1: this point? I mean, he—they did say like he would wait. I mean, it's—it's—it reminds me a little bit of um, the what's his, the Homolka, what was the guy? Oh name? yeah, Br- he, um, Brad, would, right? I can't remember his name because it was one of the most awful cases—the Canadian one. Anyways, but Carla, he was the she's, Carla she's Homolka Car- and, and Paul, Paul something. But Paul he was something the something other. strangler. The, anyways, he would do the same thing, but he wouldn't necessarily. They're, I think he didn't always kill people, but he definitely raped them. Maybe he killed them always. But anyways, it does seem like a thing that would... I mean, it's funny. Like As I researched, I kind of came to the conclusion where I was like, maybe, but also they, they talk a lot about... Uh, Chandra being like afraid of being alone like was the only reason maybe she was out there if not meeting somebody was because she had just canceled her gym membership and she was going to go get like some exercise or something like that but why would she leave her all of her stuff in disarray when from her apartment like that's my thing like wh- that's where that's what gets me is like why would she just drop everything I mean like for me I put the fanny pack on I'd have everything with me and you know also I guess she was wearing a, a, a heads um Walkman or whatever mm-hmm. which by the way people do not be careful when you run with your earbuds on because somebody can jump you it has happened and yeah. you know just so careful but I'm just, just saying one-
0: just one air pod in. Yep. Leave one air open to what's going on around you. Unless
1: you're a six foot man and fine, run away. But like nobody's targeting six foot men running in the park or right. wherever. And
0: actually that's, I'm glad that you mentioned that. So Guandique, when he was charged and then taken to trial and eventually convicted of attacking these two women, swore that he only attacked them to rob them. And both oh. women testified, I guarantee you, The goal of what was happening to me had nothing to do with stealing my Walkman.
1: Yeah, because
0: my Walkman scattered to the ground, and when he ran off, it would have been very easy for him to just grab it and run. He was trying to like hurt me, either sexually assault me and or kill me. That was the main goal, and that is why he got such a hefty sentence. Right. So that's important to remember: is that his attacks? He might say that he was just trying to rob them, but both of these women feel very strongly that. They are lucky to be alive, that the goal was not robbery. The goal was rape and or murder.
1: Yeah. So this is
0: not a, believe women. And well, this judge did. They gave him the, like, I think the, one of the harshest sentences he could for the charges brought against him. So case has gone pretty much, you know, undiscussed. Police say they're still working on it. I think Gary Condit is still being interviewed all the time. And he's just like, God, I lost my job. Life (laughs) sucks this is horrible. And everyone's like, but you did it. And you're also, you're just a schmuck, even if you didn't do it. So (laughs) I'm glad glad things are hard for you. Then on, uh, let's see on May 22nd of 2002, a man named Philip Douglas Palmer was walking his dog in Rock Creek park, a place he did all the time. He loved to like go and scavenge for like antlers and animal bones. And he was down kind of near like, I think like in a ravine, And he saw something, he thought it was a turtle shell kind of under some leaves and he moved them aside and it was a very bleached, but very obvious human skull. So like the genius motherfucking, I love to believe if I ever find a body anywhere that I would do exactly what this guy does because he's really in it. Like he's down a ravine. How would he ever direct the cops? You know. So he takes his dog's leash off and his sweatshirt off and hangs them from branches right over where the skull is. Wow. So that when he calls the police, which he does immediately, they can then much more easily locate the area. And um, after the police come through with their search teams, they find uh, the skull and several other um, bones and fragments of bone. They also find a sports bra, a pair of... Uh, Nike shoes, a Walkman, some sunglasses, a sweatshirt that says property of the USC Athletic Club. They find um workout pants, you know, I guess like yoga pants Mm -hmm. that have been that are inside out. And both of the legs of the pants have been tied, which maybe suggested like she had been tied up or restrained with her own pants. Um and then after dental records confirm it, uh Chandra Levy is no longer a missing person. She is a murdered person, and, and that now, goes
1: in the news, right? Like, people know about that.
0: Yeah, that immediately goes yeah. into the news. Um, she had been missing for 386 days when her body was found,
1: and it was off of a trail like, not even a hundred yards.
0: It was something that had they had the order, if the order really was to do a hundred yards off of roads and trails, and they had done that, her. Remains were found 87 yards off of this trail. So had they followed orders or had there not been a miscommunication, they could have found her body within two months.
1: Yeah. And they would have had some decomposing, figured out, like they could have had some samples. Yeah,
0: evidence. They could have still had evidence. If they hadn't fucked up the computer, they could have found out about Rock Creek Park right away and gone there immediately. They could have found her within a week, you know, of of all these what if, what if, what ifs. And it's so frustrating. But so here is something that I think is important. On June 6th of 2002, so Mm -hmm. May 22nd is when the um, dog walker found her skull. On June 6th, because at this point, the Levies are like, F you, DC police. We hate you. You can't do your jobs. You're not getting this done. And rightfully so. They're angry and they should be angry. They've hired their own private investigators. And on June 6th, because they don't actually trust that the police collected all of the evidence, because why would they, right. They actually go out and they bring like a rake and some axes and just some stuff to look around. And after only an hour and a half of like looking around the area, they find Chandra's tibia, like, which is the largest bone in your, maybe your whole body.
1: Are you sure it wasn't a femur?
0: I wrote down femur, crossed it out and changed it to tibia. Because oh, I read, maybe. maybe I read two conflicting things oh, or I yeah. watched one thing. I just know that
1: the femur is one of the biggest bones. Right, well, it might be
0: the femur. They found a leg bone and we're only out there for an hour and a half. So then the police trying to cover their asses they're, They accused the investigators of bringing it with them to like plant it to make them look incompetent.
1: What the fuck? Come on.
0: They try to to blame the guy who found her skull saying that he had originally actually taken one of the bones he found, but then didn't want to get in trouble for it. So tried to put it back.
1: Are you kidding me?
0: They did all of this like spin on how it wasn't their fault, but they just were clearly, and they even admit it later on that the DC uh, Metro, they're not, it's not a forensically oriented police department. Like that's, they're not all trained very well in that stuff, which I'm like, what is that? Why not? Mean? Exactly. What does that mean? Like some police departments are good with forensics and some aren't, because that's not fair to victims.
1: I feel like every police department should have their that forensic element to it, right?
0: They should have they should have their yeah, their CSI people, like the people who forensics is their thing. But anyway, so the police are embarrassed and horrified, but ultimately the body is so decomposed. They're, the coroner does the um, autopsy and there's not even really any way to determine exactly how she died. There is mm-hmm. some there is some damage to her um, hyoid bone, which is a, a bone in your neck, but there's no way to conclusively say that's how she died. And right. so while her death is ruled a homicide, because clearly her clothes had been removed, looked like yeah. she'd been bound, she was in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and she'd been missing for all this time... Uh, they actually don't know the manner of, of death for her because that's because 386 days went by before her body was discovered. So the case basically goes cold after this
1: again, or wait, that's so it goes cold when September 11th happened.
0: Well, it doesn't go, it's not a cold case. It's just oh. not media focused but oh, gotcha. that, in that time. Right. Like right around, Right before and directly right after 9-11 is when Juan Dike was on their radar.
1: Gotcha. And then
0: they dismissed him as a possible suspect because of the polygraph test and the fact that they were just so super convinced that a Gary Condit had done it. Right. So after they find her body and they can find no usable evidence on it whatsoever, the case goes cold until uh, 2006. Right, and a new um chief of police takes over, reassigns uh new lead detectives on the case that have a lot more experience, and begins to kind of try try to get this started again and then, as I mentioned um, in two thousand eight, the Washington Post uh put out a thirteen part serial, so it was like. I don't know if it was every day for 13 days, if it was all at once, if it was every week, but it was basically 13 chapters and it was called who killed Chandra Levy. And they went over all of the evidence, stuff that the public knew stuff that the public didn't know, but all the evidence that the police had and, um, it really like reinvigorated the interest in the case and also gave the new lead investigators a new prime suspect, which is, the man who had been attacking women with the intent to harm them in Rock Creek Park, always by jumping on them from behind near a ravine, so it'd be easy to take them down out of sight, much like where Chandra Levy's body was found. So on March 3rd of 2009, finally, an arrest warrant for guandique in the murder of chandra levy is served and he is extradited i believe from kentucky to washington dc anybody ever heard about ingmar guandique before like when you talk about the chandra levy case or no. is it just the american intern who was having an affair with gary condit that's all and what really happened to her all, uh, uh, a whole thing happened, and I, I just, I don't know if it was because, again, it wasn't the sex and politics, like, house of cards shit people right. were interested in, but in October of 2010, Guantique, it go, his trial begins, and um, among those who testify are the two women that Guandike was already serving time for attacking in Rock Creek Park. Gary Condit testified, but again, was fucking weird, and said that he, out of respect, for his family and for Chandra's family and privacy, he would not answer questions about whether or not they had an affair. Like, get over yourself. I mean,
1: what the fuck? Man. I just want to punch him in the face. Yeah, he's So dumb.
0: um, yeah. But then the prosecutor's star witness was Armando Morales, who had been cellmates with Juan DK in Kentucky.
1: Yeah. Wasn't that the informant, or no? Is the informant. A no, this person? is a
0: different, this is a totally different oh. person. So the informant before who had the whole story about Gary Condit paying him 25 grand for it. So no, this is his cellmate in Kentucky testified that he had murdered Chandra Le- Levy, but he had not raped her. And he, and, and um, Morales believed he told him this because in prison, rapists get raped, but yeah. murderers are cool. Weird. Um, you know, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> I don't know how murderers get to be cool in any situation, but I guess people maybe fear you more, but if you were like a sexual predator, then you will become a a victim of another sexual predator in prison more often than not. So Morales says that he believes that the reason that he told him this is that he wanted the word to get out that he was not a rapist. He was a murderer, but not a rapist. So he confessed to killing Chandra Levy, but he did, but swears he didn't rape her. And, um, Armando Morales was like a former gang member, but he said, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this. There's no reduced sentence, which was true. I'm not getting anything for this. I just, I'm really trying to change my life and turn, turn myself around. And I just feel like this family has been through enough and it's time that they know what happened to their daughter. And that's the only reason I'm testifying. And, um, Mm. even Robert, um, Levy gets on the stand and says, I just want to, he like retracts because he had basically said, I believe Gary Condit. Is responsible for right. my daughter's disappearance and he says i didn't know about this man all of the evidence would suggest so i would like to basically take back all of my accusation accusations i was just angry that he w- he was lying yeah. to us but i no longer believe he had anything to do with my daughter's yeah. disappearance so they were really nervous because all of the um evidence against guandica was circumstantial Again, like we said, her body had been so decomposed. There was no forensic evidence connecting him to her. There was no evidence that, you know, they'd ever met in any other, like, time in life. So it was all circumstantial based on pattern because of what he had done to the two other women in the the same park in a very similar kind of area. And it was, most people thought it was going to be a hung jury. Because it has to be, you know, no reasonable doubt. And you have no forensic physical evidence, le- right. like, like, tying him to this case. Which I also think is, is that's scary. Like, how do you convict somebody when they are like, but there's, other than what he did to someone else, there's no evidence that he did this. But you also have the, um, his cellmate saying that he confessed to it. So you have a mm-hmm. little bit, you know. But anyway, surprisingly, after three days of deliberations, the jury actually comes back and finds him guilty and he is sentenced to 60 years in prison but here's the deal guantique maintains his innocence that is sentencing he says i am so very sorry for you like to her parents, to Chandra's Mm -hmm. parents i'm so very sorry about what happened to your daughter but i didn't do this and then Susan Levy actually stood up and she's supposed to just direct the court but she looked right at him and she said you look me in the eye and you tell me what you did to my daughter and then she screamed fuck you Adam in open court which just I love her. This woman is fiery. She did. I'm <laughs> pretty yeah, she was just like yeah. fuck you.
1: Um to so, qu- Yeah,
0: to Quondike. <laughs> She said, you look me in the eye and you tell me you
1: tell me you didn't kill my daughter. Oh, and he so like, it's so and sad. And then
0: he like looked away and she, I, I love her for it though. Cause it also shows, yes, it's, she's devastated and heartbroken, but she's yeah. also strong and she's not, she's not going to like just sit there and, and not show her rage at the man who yeah. took her daughter from her.
1: It's really sad. Like when you see interviews with her, she's like. Um, you know, I can't pretend like our family isn't going to be fractured for the rest of our lives after this. Right? It's like whatever lives- happened. Cause, cause they were talking about like bringing it back up after whatever. She's like, I don't know. It's just like, we're, they've all been through a lot. Like, yeah, our
0: family, there is no, there is no justice or closure for us because wait till you hear what happens next. So surprise everyone who didn't realize this, uh someone was convicted and and went to jail for the murder of chandra levy but the reason why her murder is still considered unsolved is about what happens after he is convicted and sentenced to 60 years so as with i think most people who are convicted of first degree murder or really any murder that don't confess to it and don't ultimately say, yes, I did this. Mm -hmm. You're going to appeal. You might as well. What does it hurt? So he's no different. He has his lawyer file all of these appeals. A lot of them saying, you know, like they only, their whole case was based on like emotional testimony. They never presented facts and evidence to connect my client to the case. Um, And sorry, I mean, I got lost in my notes. I got lost in my notes. Okay. So after several of these like failed appeals on May 22nd, 2015 prosecutors drop their opposition to a new trial. Cause he's appealing for a retrial. Mm-hmm. And on May 22nd, 2015, the prosecutor's office is like, okay, we won't, we don't oppose that. There should be a new trial. And everyone's like, wait, what? Right. And that's because it has come to light that the star witness for the prosecution, Armando Morales, the cellmate from Kentucky, had perjured, had committed perjury on the stand when he said that he had never been an informant before. Oh. And the fact was um, the prosecution had failed to disclose to the defense that um, Morales was actually a known jailhouse informant with a reputation for being untrustworthy. So they never told them that this was like this guy, that was his job. Like he had a deal kind of like, I'll be an informant for the cops in prison. And he lied about it on the stand and the prosecutors never, um, well, one, they let him perjure himself. That's really bad Two, They never gave the information to the defense attorneys that he was like, this is what he does. Um, so yeah. Also the defense says they have a new witness. This is the one interesting thing where I'm like, shit, do we not know what happened? They have a new. The defense says they have a new witness who was a neighbor of Chandra Levy's who called nine one one. There's a record of their call at four thirty seven a.m. the the day that Chandra went missing, to report uh, a blood curdling, terrifying scream that might have come from Chandra's apartment. At the time, I don't. She's like, I these are my neighbors, you know. But there's someone screaming close by, and so then on June fourth of twenty fifteen, a judge grants a retrial and uh in november so that's june he gets the retrial as they're mm-hmm. like trying to set trial dates so in the november of 2015 i'm just gonna hold my notes up to my face so i don't have to keep <laughs> looking them up oh sorry everybody thanks for understanding okay so november of 2015 prosecutors told the court that their offices had failed to turn over documents to the defense before Dique's first trial. So his defense has now has a case that are, argues that all of the charges against him should be dismissed for prosecu- prosecutorial misconduct. On July 28th of 2016, prosecutors announced that they are not going to proceed. So now there's been a new trial mm. and um, they're going to go back. And the prosecutor says, we're actually not going to proceed with our case against Dique which would mean after his 10 years.
1: He gets to be free. Gets to
0: be free. And instead they were going to seek to have him deported because he had been in, um, he had come to this country illegally. And I believe any, um, undocumented, uh, immigrant who commits a violent crime, like the U S it's within their right to be like, well, you, you have to go back to where you, to, you know, your home land now.
1: Yeah. I think even if you are, working on getting citizenship and you make a violent crime, you can be deported.
0: Absolutely. I think anytime in the process until you have that, until you have become an American citizen, if you can, if you commit a violent crime, you can be deported. So instead of trying to retry him, they say, we're just going to seek to get him re- deported. And this is because in light of everything already horrible and scandalous that came out, it now turns out there is actually audio of a friend of um armando morales's had secretly recorded him when he admitted that he lied on the stand in the guandique case what so that's the prosecutors are like he will get off if we retry him oh you wow know? so we're gonna seek to get him deported
1: so so you're saying that he didn't ever hear guandique say that
0: So I'm saying, I don't know, all that that the articles and things that I watched said was that he was recorded saying he'd lied on the stand. Now, did he lie about the confession or did he lie about the fact that, like, it was his job to get confessions for cops? You know, that that was not specified. Mm. So then I'm going to wrap up my timeline here. In March 2017, um, Juan lost his bid to stay in the U.S. And on May 5th of 2017, he was deported back to El Salvador. And to this day, the murder of Chandra Levy technically remains unsolved. However, nobody is really investigating it. Yeah. I don't know that anyone is putting real energy into like that 911 call from 437 AM from a neighbor, find out if that witness is credible, um, you know, vet that shit. Anyway, I had no idea. Right. The twists and turns of this story. None. And the saddest part to me is if I'm going to be honest with you, based on what I feel like I know, uh, Ingmar Guantique has always maintained his innocence, but he is also a violent predator against women. And every single time that he, you know, had to explain himself, he would come up with like an excuse for why it was actually this. You know, I was just trying yeah. to rob them. The women he attacked knew that was not what was happening to yeah. them. And then also the way that the park police got him to implicate himself in the attacks was when he said, did you attack this woman? And he said, well, is there any way maybe you accidentally bumped into them and there was a misunderstanding? And then he was really quick to be like, that's what it was. I just asked, like, I saw her trip and I went to help her and she just started screaming, you know, which is how he was like, I was there. She did scream. I'm the guy she saw. And so I don't believe that his maintaining his innocence actually holds water.
1: It's just a bad situation for Mr. Gary Condit because it's really suspicious. All of I mean, it makes sense, you know. A, a high-powered states, whatever, whatever he was was he a senator? No, what was he? I think it was in the Senate. Yeah, and it, so like you know, it makes sense that he would want to kill, some, you know, the woman who thought because it was said that his, um, you know, she spoke with her aunt saying telling I'm in a relationship with this guy. And apparently there was something, some big news when she got home and she's like, I can't tell you until I see you. So was it that she was pregnant? Was it, I mean, whatever, we can speculate. There was, there was, was, there was,
0: there was speculation about that. That's accurate. And also, you know, um, one of the things, she really thought there was a future there. She wasn't, she wasn't scared of her boyfriend, Gary Condit. She wasn't telling anyone bad things. She was excited that they had finally put in place a plan. He denies to this day that there was ever a plan. He's like, I was, right. I'm, I had no intention of ever leaving my wife and family. Um, but you know, she even told her mom, "I can't tell you anything about him, but you'll understand five years from right. now."
1: And I don't think he's a violent. Like you know, it seems like we don't know. And again, just speculation, we don't know what happened to her. But when you see like her clothes and the scattered of her bones and everything, it was definitely a violent attack and probably in sexual nature, you know, he, I don't think he would try to, you know, take her out that way.
0: Right. And that's why, that's why I said definitively 100% that I don't believe Gary Condit had anything to do with what happened to her. But I do think that all of the, uh, Obstruction of justice, the lying, the trying to protect himself over trying yeah. to help the police figure out what happened cost them months yeah. of, an, of valuable evidence collecting time. They also bungled so bad. I mean, yeah. so they should be hor- like so embarrassed. They should be embarrassed because it's a horrific um, bungling of, you know, we, we when we were talking about um, Paul and um, Carla Homolka. Yeah. Bernardino, Ber- Bernardo, yeah, Bernardo, it, Bernardo, Paul Bernardo. We talked all about how, like, the Canadian police really screwed the pooch. They like yeah. talked to the East Side rapist, or the I'm I'm making up names of other killers. The the killer and the rate the serial rapist they were searching for. They'd interviewed him like five times, had his DNA, and just didn't really think didn't it was
1: check like, it. Yeah,
0: so didn't check it. And this is just an to me just it just seems like it was a bunch of inexperienced
1: people. Yeah
0: conducting searches, touch and important computer evidence, you know, just rookie shit that you're like, how did, how did like the police department in our nation's capital not like,
1: know how you to You'd think be it'd be better there than it was other places, but.
0: Yeah. So th- to me, this is really like, it's, it's not a question of who killed Chandra Levy. I, mm-hmm. I think they could, I think they got the guy and they convicted him, but mm-hmm. they didn't, they didn't do it again. It's, it's the, the, the system, the man, so to speak, cutting corners, you know, yeah. trying to save face, which ultimately is going to, you know, lead to a retrial and maybe an overturned conviction. And then he's free. Yeah. Um,
1: well for us ladies, there's a couple of things we can control. Do not wear your headphones when you run, try not mm-hmm. to go in places where somebody could sneak up on you. Um, what else? Maybe take a self-defense class. Cause I think I should take one. Cause that's, I love that. Like, you know, just be aware of your and that's not your fault. None of it's your fault, but if what you can control. Because there are predators, I guess. I mean, I don't know how many there are out there, but the bad people are gonna try and do bad things. So God, I hate it. Anyways.
0: <laughs> I think that's actually really smart though, because one of the things that I always joke about when people tease me and or seem nervous around me for my fascination with true crime is that I really do and always have really looked at it as I if I'm ever in a position where something is out of my control what do what can I do to take back some of that to help myself so like in this story I now know that if I ever am in like a physical struggle with somebody else that I can try to like stab them underneath their tongue and look that up so that you can get the accurate description (laughs) of what you're supposed to do there but I do know that that's the basic of like the basis of it. And that will come to my brain if I ever find myself yeah. in that situation. And, you know, it comes from my mom telling me never to go to second location from a really young age and me being like, P- why? And then learning why things are so much worse right. if you'd let that happen. And so I do think arming yourself with information, yeah. it's not, it sucks that we as women have to think about how to protect ourselves from another person thinking that they get to control our body in a moment of their choosing. Right. But- we would be completely, you know, ignorant if we didn't think that that isn't isn't the unfortunate possibility, you know, all the time, unfortunately. I know. Except for right now, six feet apart, man. Anyone comes closer to you than six feet apart, you're allowed to freak the fuck out on anyone. I'm just gonna and take that my is the one bright side.
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna take my taser everywhere and be like and just like make it go tick I'm kidding. I don't have a taser. I have a taser. Of course I have a taser. I'm kidding. I don't have a taser. I have a taser. Do you have a taser? Um, I actually don't anymore, but I used to. Yeah. Really? I mean, I couldn't bring it on the airplane, so I didn't bring it with me.
0: Yeah. Pepper spray is obviously a thing, but I'm just saying like, I will say, if we end this episode on uh, a, like a positive COVID-19 note. So I am sure... Some of you, if not all of you, because we're a smaller community, uh, listen to the podcast, My favorite murder, um, which is one of my favorites, and I just think those women are so hilarious and so insightful, and part of where I got the like not part of, probably hundred percent of where I got the idea of like, oh, a podcast about this stuff can be, you know you can get through yucky stuff, the bad parts of life with a little bit of humor. but one of the things that they always say, is fuck politeness. We as women are always told to be polite and to save your own life. Like fuck being polite. The number of times we get ourselves in trouble, just because we're trying to not be rude to someone is all the time. It's like all the times you are, our bodies, our guts, our, the hair on our arms, they all tell us we know something's wrong, but we don't want to be rude. And so I do say our COVID-19 like bonus. Yay. This is okay. Is, um, no one is allowed to get within six feet of you. That is not someone who lives in your home with you. And so any stranger comes up on you, don't hesitate. You're doing a service to your, you know, to the the people of the world by being mm-hmm. like, get away from me. I love <laughs> and it. no one will question that. Oh, before we go, sorry. I know we just said goodbye like 15 times to you, but I just realized I forgot to say, so remember her search history, yes. what was like Amtrak, Southwest Airlines. Baskin Robbins mm-hmm. and I was like I'm gonna come back to that mm-hmm. well this is me coming back to it so at the end um, of all of this yeah. Gary Condit did in fact lose his bid for re-election he moved back to California and now he and his wife run to Baskin Robbins like they're Baskin Robbins franchise owners so first of all what why how and then second
1: of all what <laughs> Okay, that's so crazy. I'm like, I love Baskin Robbins. I kind of, I mean, me too. Like, Should we be franchise owners? I mean, maybe.
0: What I will say this: when I was a kid, my um my proclivity towards adult beverages was never more obvious than when in a Baskin Robbins. When I was like, I'll take the daiquiri ice, please, oh. or the margarita ice is fine. Oh no, Okay. rum raisin.
1: <laughs> I love daiquiri ice too. That was one of Did my. Did you gems. ever go there? Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. I always got decorated. It was there was one right next to our grocery store, and and it was really cute because after like big games, like volleyball games or whatever, we'd all go and eat some ice cream.
0: Yeah, get that ice cream. Anyway, sorry for the delayed goodbye and then pop back in, but I just thought that was such a it's important. That's important information. On her last, on her on her on her final day in her Mm -hmm. search history, she looked up Baskin Robbins and. After he lost everything because of all of this, he ended up owning Baskin Robbins. I just I'm trying to figure out what that all means, and if anybody has any ideas. So
1: I love it. And on that note, you guys, I love you from six feet away. Thank you for you listening to this six episode. Feet away. <laughs>